child. And though the road is rocky, I'm ready to try to make smile the brave side to the blind man. It's down to the left child, we will survive. And it's down to willingness. Swimming through the waters of Babylon like a rebel fish. Jogalist, specialist, critical and survivalist. Spitting hell, fight from his lips. Burn a slave driver. Welcome, listeners, to Time for an Awakening on Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennia. This is a history and current events program from a cultural perspective. We find this program necessary because Hosea 4, 6 states, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. We as a people will turn this around. Proverbs 4, 7 states, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. To all that I get and get an understanding. Again, welcome to the program this evening with your hosts, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. The number to reach us to join the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live at several locations. You can go to timeforanawakening.com, which is the homepage, and catch the live stream. At that location, you can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash Time for an awakening. Again, it's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening and catch the live stream there also. We're streaming on bb2me.com. That's A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I.com forward slash time for an awakening and the live stream ought to be playing there. Or you can download the TuneIn radio app to any of your devices. TuneIn is a free app. In the TuneIn search engine, just type in time for an awakening. There you'll see the icon and you can stream the program live even into your car if you have the Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection. Again, that's time for an Awakening Radio program with the live stream on the TuneIn app. Drop us an email at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Again, that's timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Time for an Awakening also has a fan page on Facebook. In that Facebook search engine, just type in time for an Awakening Radio program. There you always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or Brother Richard. And do me a favor before you leave that page, just hit that like button. That's time for an awakening radio program with the fan page on Facebook and time for an awakening media is also there. Always full of the latest podcast of the various programs on time for an awakening and just new articles that you can read, download at later times and share with your friends. Also check out that time for an awakening marketplace in our partnership with the BB to me. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time, various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So, again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's 7.13 here in this uh, chilly Sunday evening in the city of Philadelphia, and uh, we're in the Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. We had a little glitch there in the beginning. Equipment seemed to want to do an update right at the time we go on the air, but everything's situated now, and we're ready to go. Our guest this evening, author, education, educator, and African senator, historian, Brother Kaba, Dr. Professor Kaba Kameni is with us this evening in discussion. We're going to be talking about several things tonight, uh, a continuation of discussion we had last week 
uh, with our guest that was with us, uh, uh, talking about, uh, the movie and related subjects. When Dr. Jerome Fox had joined us last week, we're going to continue this discussion tonight, uh, talking about the woman King and other topics that are pertinent to our community. We'll be right back to get the program started after a brief word from our sponsors. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and, and our enemies. <laughs> You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked? Suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not what you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human 
geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening at 719. <clears throat> Here on the Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening, before we get started with our guest this evening, I want to bring in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum. Here in Philadelphia, 7th and Arch Street, Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing fine, Brother Elliot. I'm, um, every, you know, everything is good. I'm, I'm excited about our conversation tonight, as always. I mean, as usual, in bringing this this series up as far as um, decoding um, the Woman King. But I'm looking forward um, to exchanging with Dr. Kaba and um, seeing what we can learn um, or what we need to learn in relationship to this um, moment in history and this civilization that was created by African people. You know, uh, last week uh, in the discussion with Jerome Fox, um, I think that we're going to take it in a little different direction uh, this evening. Uh, he approached it from one area, but we're going to approach it from another with uh, with uh, Dr. Kaba on this issue. Um, you know, Richard, as we stated last week, uh, I, I think it was good that uh, – the discussion that this movie has created, but uh, let's let's go into that. Let's go into the numbers, so to speak, with uh, with Dr. Kaba Kamani, author, educator, African senator, historian. Dr. Kaba Kamani is with us. How are you, sir? My brother Elliot, <laughs> and to my brother Richard, I am doing excellent. I thank you for this opportunity to be able to speak to the community. Uh, particularly about this issue, but the ramifications of this issue, okay. which, are, which is far larger. And as we spoke on the phone uh, prepping for this conversation we're having this evening, we touched on a number of different things. But one of the most important things I think that we spoke about, and I think you brought it in your introduction, is to take this opportunity to discuss what this movie represents, as opposed to jumping into it and getting personal. And I think sometimes this is what we do. So I look forward to discussing the ramifications from its many different perspectives, the past, the present, and the future. Dr. Kaba, you know, um, and, and you know that's the area I want to go into, the, the ramifications of this movie and others, because there's others coming up, um, a fictional movie, but uh, a lot of people were excited about the first one which is the Wakanda movie that's coming up in about another couple of weeks. And then they got a movie uh, with Will Smith in it, Emancipation. So uh, it's movies coming on the the heels of this one. Uh, let's let's approach it from this area, and I, and I want you to kind of open it up as much as you can, uh, uh, Doctor. Um, we see a lot of these movies, and I saw the movie, and... I think because when I see a movie, I, I, especially certain types of movies, I like the scenery 
Uh, I like it to get into the aesthetics and uh, whether things are authentic in that respect. Um, I think the movie had a lot of value in the, the respect of what I'm talking about in, in the beginning. Uh, other areas I had somewhat a prop of a problem with. But, uh, Doctor, can you, in your opinion, because uh, in my place of business, uh, it was a lot of discussion in reference to the movie. Different customers would come in and they would talk about the movie. It would come up. And uh, they were relating the movie to current events that's happening in our community now. And I asked a couple of the customers on different occasions, um, do they understand what was really going on on the continent during the setting? The movie was set like in 1830. So I asked them, did they understand what was going on on the continent at that time? And I could see the perplexed looks on their faces. They really didn't know exactly where I was going. They, some of them didn't know how to respond. Some of them believed that the dysfunction that you've seen uh, during that period in the movie was always going on on the continent. The question I have, uh, and maybe we can start there, um, Doctor, can you accurately balance these films if you don't understand your history? I don't think you can balance anything if you don't understand history. As you, um, in your introductions, uh, you, you played the piece with Professor Clark, who I consider to be my teacher, about the role of history in a person's life and culture in a person's life. And I think of the brilliant scholar, Dr. Wade Nobles, who tells us that culture is to a human as water is to a fish. You, you live in it. You eat in it. You drink in it. You defecate in it. You do everything in your culture. And everything is a reflection of your culture. And I think of another scholar, Dr. Uh, Shekhante Jump, a brilliant Senegalese scholar, who in his book, Civilization or Barbarism, tells us in his chapter on why cultural identity, he says that there are three things that people will take from you. This doesn't have to do with necessarily peoples of African descent. This has to do with people in general. As I look at what's happening in Russia and Ukraine, the Russians attempted to do the same thing to the Ukrainians. And if you look at the strength of the Ukrainians in terms of their their response to what Russia tried to do, you'll understand what it is that we need to do in order to defeat what it is or whoever it is that is attempting to uh, overcome us. They'll take your history, they'll take your language, and they'll take your psychological factor. Your psychological factor, according to Dr. Leonard Jeffries, brilliant historian, tells us that your psychological factors are your VIPs, your values, your interests, and your principles. And after those who wish to oppress you take your history, your language, your values, interests, and principles from you, they then superimpose their history, their language, their values, interests, and principles on you. And so, therefore, whatever decision you come to, whatever you decide to do in your life, will never be in your best 
uh, uh, interest because you're not looking at the world through your own eyes. Okay. Which goes back to the concept of history. If you don't know where you came from, how can you know where you are and you'll never be able to project your future? Not as it relates to you. And what is in the interest of you from the water you swim in, which is your culture. And so when we go to movies and we sit and we watch, we are not looking at it from our own historical perspective. We're not looking at the fact that if you go back, give or take, maybe, uh, what, uh, 30 years, uh, that you're dealing uh, with an African people on the island of Haiti that successfully went on the, on the road to getting their independence through their own revolution. That's another group of African people that responded to what they saw happening to them. You then don't put into context that here in America, you've got something on the, on the periphery about to happen with a brother by the name of Nat Turner. And so if you don't see a global experience, if you don't see it from a much larger perspective, then much of what you'll experience will get lost. For instance, when the Queen of England died, Elizabeth, not too long ago, there were uh, responses from the African and the Caribbean community that were basically saying, I have nothing uh, uh, to um, celebrate or should I um, feel bad about her death? And I actually heard a woman from UK, United Kingdom, say that it was the British that stopped the slave trade. And that even though Africans still wanted to sell Africans to Europeans, it was the British that denied them that. So in a sense, she was saying it was the British, it was the Europeans that were trying to stop the enslavement of African people while the African people were trying to continue it. And there was nobody, no journalist, nobody could respond to what she said because they did not know their history. The other concept that I'd like to offer is the fact that that did not happen as frequently as people would like to make us think. It did not happen. The, the selling of Africans by other Africans was not something that continued, first of all, for a long time throughout Africa. And it was something that did not happen the way in which they were expressing it. But the other thing that I want to uh, emphasize is that slavery did not exist in Africa. Slavery is a very unique situation in the European world and here in America, specifically, in the Caribbean too, but let's focus on the United States for now. What happened to African people in the United States was what Kenneth Stamp in his book called That Peculiar Institution. The enslavement of African people was a legal process in America. 
It was the color of your skin and your cultural background that automatically put you in a category of less than human. In Africa, you were still a human. It was servitude in Africa. Yes, did they mistreat them? Yes, they did. There were some that were very badly mistreated. There's no question. Prisoners of war, uh, there might have been some people who lost the main uh, person in their life, such as a woman losing her husband or a husband losing a wife, that he had to go into servitude to somebody else that had the means to take care of them. That was servitude. They could buy their way out. The children born to them were born free. And so we have to look at the two concepts differently. Because we we get the impression that Africans were slaves. And yet we're not even thinking of the proverb that was reiterated by the Ukrainians now in their war when they say Slavi Ukraini, which means uh, honor to Ukraine. The word slave, Slav, means honor and dignity. But because they were the first enslaved people of Europe, they were called slaves. So you have the word Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia. So if we don't understand the totality of the history of what we're experiencing, when we're sitting in movies, which are fantasies, they are going to be uh, faction, fact uh, mixed with fiction, then we are going to walk away with an experience that what we're watching is what happened and not see certain things that relate and don't relate. And what I say to people about going to the movies is what I say people that listen to my presentations, and I say it tonight to all of us who are listening, don't believe a word I say. I am not here to make you believe me. I am simply here to make you think. And that movie made us think. Dr. Kyle, before I pass the mic to Brother Richard, let me go back to something that you just stated because we talked about it briefly last week uh, when you said that it wasn't slavery in Africa. And you're the historian, and I'm just an amateur, below an amateur. But just reading some of our history and ancient history, I can see that it was indentured servitude on the continent. I think the advent of slavery came in with the spread of Indo-Europeans and Islam on the continent. Uh, Europeans came in with a whole different dynamic because according to world history, it's only been five slave societies that has been documented by humanity. And all of them were created by Europeans, uh, Greek, uh, ancient Greece, Rome, the United States in the islands. And I think they said in Brazil, all of these slave societies were European created. So when you talk about slavery in relation to our people, it's no way that a lot of our ancestors on the continent, even if they got involved with dealings with Europeans, 
that they realized what they were sending their people into. That hell they could not have imagined because it wasn't basically in an African ethos, that type of bondage that the Europeans had in mind. Before I pass the mic to Brother Richard, uh, expand on that, uh, Dr. Kyle. That's the exact point. The perspective of Africans, no matter and no, no, no matter how they may have mistreated each other throughout history, we have our saints and we have our sinners. We have those that invaded our people. There's no question about that. We know that. The point is your perspective of that individual and where you see them in life. In Africa, there was not a legal system that bound you to your servitude or your enslavement. In America, it was they created a law. Today, we're still looking at that law. They will tell you America is a land of laws. And it was in their law that said, and look at the Dred Scott decision, that said, basically, okay, you can go to the formality of the law, but basically what the Dred Scott decision said is that a European is a human, and an African is not a human that is bound to respond to the European. It's like if if your dog took you to court. It's like your cow took you to court. This is how they viewed Africa. And by the way, the three-fifths amendment clause that they have had nothing to do with black people themselves. That, that three-fifths had to do with the European landowner because you had uh, your, your voting system was according to your your material wealth. And so when you had somebody like uh, um, that, that had a lot of cattle, a lot of land, you, you were higher up in the voting system because this is what the Electoral College is all about even today. So that according to how many enslaved people you had determined your position in your voting status. So... They said, okay, if you, if you own five Africans, that's equal to three because three-fifths. So you, they said, well, cattle and ownership and everything I have, I need something that's going to balance that. So what they did was say, okay, well, we'll say this. In terms of your Africans and the ones that you own, it's three-fifths. Every one African is equal to three-fifths of what we would consider to be ownership. It had nothing to do with the value of the African person. They did not value the African person even as three-fifths of a human. They were not human. It was a law that never existed in Africa. That really didn't even exist in Islam. It was the European that... now. Islam had a brutal enslavement process, uh, a servitude process, if you want to call it that, however you want to call it, because I don't call it slavery, and I don't call them slaves. Slave is a noun that describes who you are. Enslavement 
is a term you use for a person who has been put upon in a certain situation once they've been kidnapped and held in bondage. Okay. That's an enslaved person. And a person that does that to them is not a slave owner. They are an enslaver. And that is the process of becoming. And I've learned that working with children, as I have throughout my career, words are very important and they create things. And I guess this is part of also what the woman king have. And the other thing is even the term that they had, the woman king. <laughs> that did not exist in the African mind. <laughs> you know, there was a leadership process and by gender, it is where you had, for instance, the the... What we call the pharaoh, the male leader, was called Neset Biti, N-E-S-E-T-B-I-T-Y. When you try to break it down and explain it and define it in this limited English language, it means the one who has the right to rule. The woman was the Hemet Neset Waret, H-E-M-E-T, N-E-S-E-T, that word is there. The one who has the right to rule is there with the woman, bit uh, 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 waret, W-A-R-E-T. So that the concept of a woman being king is it's it's, it's equivalent to this. What what will happen, and this is going to happen, hopefully sooner than later, when a woman becomes president of the United States? Is there a female term for the president? No, she's president. What, whatever her name is, she will be called president and then her name. Now, some may say Madam President when they're addressing her, but her term is president. From an African perspective, there was no concept of a woman taking on a man's title, even though they keep trying to do that with Hatshepsut. Because in the definition of Hatshepsut, she was in charge. Now, the other thing is, she's not the only one that ruled Kemet at one time. Okay. And also, we don't even know the role that women played in Kemet or Egypt in terms of their rulership and what they did and how they contributed to the life system of, of, of Kemet. We, we don't really even know that. That's for other generations as we keep doing this work, Brother Elliot and, and my brother Richard. We hand down to the next generation, this worked to get better, to begin to build on what we have. And I find that we're getting all tripped up over this, telling each other, no, that's wrong. No, you're right. No. Every generation does the best that they can. Dr. Shekhanta Diab, Dr. John Henry Clark, Dr. Yosef Ben Yikinen, Dr. Asa Hilliard. I can go through the list. Dr. Shashi Charlotte McIntyre. They did the best they could with what they had. William Leo Hansberry in the 20s, Drusilla Dungy Houston in the 20s. They did the best they could with what they had. Dr. George G.M. James did the best he could with what he had, and he then passed the baton to the next generation to take to the next level as I am doing it myself. Am, am I correct? I believe I'm correct, but I do believe I could be more accurate. Further study and future generations will take the work that I have done to the next level as the next generation should take it to the next level. <laughs> Richard. You know, I, I, and I appreciate you, um, what you're, you're raising, um, um, brother, Dr. Copper. Um, one thing that you, there's two people you raised in their context that 
and looking at the film, film, I wanted to get your, you know, um, reflection or, or at least provide the audience what you extracted. And that was, um, when you mentioned about Dr. Diop, right. Um, the thought came to me about his point about cultural continuity. Um, that, 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 that was what he was investigating this show that there is amongst African people, um, cultural continuity, which raises the question about culture, right? Not necessarily the behavioral aspect, but the value aspect. And I'm, I'm wondering, so one question I have in relationship to the value aspect that is reflected in the movie, um, or reflected in that historical moment that you um, extracted from it, is there something that you could say to us so that we are clear when we're talking about decoding, what values are we looking at that were maybe not African values you gave in relationship to identification that there's no such thing as a woman king, right? That's not an African uh, nomenclature. But what values did you um, extract from the films that would that centers in history, but also centers into cultural value, a cultural um, value system. And I don't want to add on, but is there anything specifically that you see that we should be looking at to make to to follow up on that reflects, to your understanding, a truly African cultural values? The, the, the concept of Ogoji. The concept of the fact that there is a warrior class amongst us, even to this day, of women. And she, in her magnificence, is taking part. Because, you see, the Agoji is not just in West Africa. It just wasn't in Dahomey. You had a whole class of women warriors throughout Africa always been part of the defense of the community in their own way. You've always had the idea that a woman sits next to a man. And that image of when she sat next to the king is very important when you step back and look at it from a different perspective. If you, if you want to get real local on it, you might have a challenge because you know, who is he to make her a queen? But the other concept is she made herself next to him by her actions, not by her words, not by being married to him. And this is something we have to begin to research as it relates to the role that women played. See, we're caught up in a very dangerous, contaminated philosophical system. We have to understand that going back to the point that you made about those five different uh, uh, civilizations that enslaved, that came from the European, I'd, I'd like to add another concept to take you back into history and to help us understand that the Indo-European people, the northern people that Dr. Diop talks about that got caught in the Ice Age and transformed into the Cro-Magnon from the African Grimaldi, and returned back south. They came back with a warped interpretation of the world because you are only as great as your creator and your creator is created by your environment. And for Africans growing in a wonderful, warm sun climate where nature was kind, sometimes brutal, 
sometimes brutal, but for the most part, gave you your food, kept things in place for you, gave you all the different types of animals, gave you all the different types of, of, of flowers and uh, your environment, you're going to create a certain concept around a loving and giving God. But when your environment is the ice, you're going to have a cold, gnashing of the teeth, angry concept. And when these northern Africans that had depigmented themselves and their calcified pineal gland, which is your seat of spiritual, your, uh, when you came back south, you brought this ice mentality back with you. And in bringing this back, you created civilizations by lying, stealing, and cheating. And the evidence of it is the other day <laughs> when the woman said, as it relates to a current person running for um, senator, who at one point said one thing about what he believed in, and now he's saying something totally different, and he was found to be guilty of what he had actually done. He said, I don't care if he, if he was killing Baby eagles, we want the Senate. I was in a documentary called um, Race War. And um, there were different people that were involved. Uh, Jared Taylor was in the movie, and he was the one that I, I, I don't call it a debate, you know, because, you know, Dr. Clark said that he only debated his equal, and Jared Taylor is not my equal. But Richard Spencer was in the movie also who was like a baby Jared Taylor. And um, there was one thing that he said in the movie that when, when Jared Taylor and I uh, had our conversation, I told the audience, I wish that I could tell you that someone in the document, I wish, first of all, that I would have said the most important thing. That's my ego speaking. I said, then I wish that I could have told you that someone of African descent said the most important thing in this documentary. But the most important thing that was said in that documentary was said by Richard Spencer. A, a staunch, ignorant, well, I'll use the term white supremacist. I don't like it because that's an oxymoron because nothing's supreme about being white. But he said that it's not about morality. He said it's about winning. He said he and his followers viewed morality as weakness. It's about winning, which says that I'll attack you when your back is turned. I'll come at you when you sleep at night. I'll hold a baby up as a shield as I do damage to you. I will do anything I can to win. And that's who they are. I don't speak in absolutes. I'm not saying everybody. But as a group, that's who they are. And family, they've only had no more than 500 years as any type of civilization. Going back to Cambyses, the Persians that overtook Kush Kemet in 525 B.C., if you want to do that date. But by 332 B.C., the Greeks had come in. That's a little over 181 years that the uh, Persians ruled the world. Because whoever was in Kush Kemet ruled the world. And then the Greeks came in. And the Greeks came in from 332 to 30 B.C. when the Romans came in. So you're dealing with a little over, what, 300 years that they ruled stuff. And then the Romans came in from 30 B.C. 
I, I'll, I'll go with what most people say, but they lost their empire much sooner than that. But I'll go with 426 A.D., which now you're dealing with basically 456 years that they ruled the world. And after the Roman Empire fell, Europe went into darkness. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until 711 when Tariq came in with the Moors that they brought life back to Europe. By 1490, that's a little over 780 years they ruled because 1492, here you got this Cristobal Colon and Europe coming onto the world. So from 1492 until now, a little over 500 years, you got this. And this Dolly House has been falling for a while anyway. And so my message to our people, we got to get ourselves together. They have never been able to maintain a civilization more than 500 years because it is based in exactly what you said, Brother Elliot. It's based in the laws of Ishfet. They go against Ma'at. They go against honor, integrity. He said it himself. It's not about Ma'at. It's not about honor, justice, integrity. It's not about balance, order, and arrangement. But I'll tell you what it is about. One of the my my favorite characteristics of Ma'at, the law that governed Kushkmet. She said reciprocity. And reciprocity says, you shall reap what you sow. <laughs> what go around, come around. Martin Luther King said, although the arc of the moral universe is long, it bends towards justice. So you had your time, you had five hundred years. And now it's time to take you out. With that, with that said, let me ask you this. Um, so when we look at this film, does it, to your mind, reinforce the, this time you just spoke of, the time to take you out? Or does it reflect something else? And I don't want to put any thoughts, words in your mind. I'm, I'm trying to extract, based, you know, in the context of what you're raising, um, what does this film say to us in relationship to this time that you're speaking of? I told people don't leave the movie house before it ends. I said, after the credits, there's going to be another scene. You have to wait to see that. And if you leave during the credits, you're going to miss that. We are at the point that our society, this Western society, is falling. This omen empire is falling. (laughs) They've had their time to do things. They have been unjust. They have been immoral. They have created a society that has destroyed everything. And those of us of African descent who wish to sell our people as in that movie they sold their people we got folks selling us out now for their own enrichment and there are some of us who may have been a part of it and this is something that the Agoji represent to me that they come to a point where they say we've been on the wrong road yes and we have to change our ways. And that last scene is the prayer to the ancestors that is asking for divine intervention and help to bring us back around to where we need to be. 
a lot of this we miss because family, in many ways, we're very emotional. <laughs> we get very emotional sometimes. And, and, and I understand. I, I, I really do understand for what we have gone through these past four or five hundred years. Because, see, I don't look at 1692. I go back into Moorish Spain to understand what began to happen to African people prior to 1492. And I don't let the Spaniards off the hook uh, because they're Europeans. And what they brought to this part of the world is horrific. Yes. And we don't study what they did in Arizona, California, named after an African woman named Khalifa. We don't realize Los Angeles, San Diego, these are all Spanish words. We don't even get caught up in Zorro. Uh, I used to watch Zorro. That was California. We don't get caught up in that because we are not historically. And this is what Dr. Clark was trying to say. And when, when I used to talk to Dr. Clark, he, he used to explain to me the role that history plays. And it is because of Dr. Clark that Malcolm once said that it is history that is the best subject that would best serve us as a people. Because when you know where you've been, you can interpret where you are and you can predict where you're going. It's like a slingshot. You pull that projectile out in the slingshot, you pull it back. And the further back you pull it, the further in front you're going to project it. We're not going back in history just to stay back there. No more than a slingshot is meant to just stay back there. The purpose of the slingshot is to project you forward. The purpose of history is to project you forward into the future. Because when you know what happened in the past, you can interpret what's happening in the present and you can predict what's going to happen in the future. A prophet is not a psychic. A prophet is just a good historian. And when I sat in the movie and I watched it, I understand why people had a problem with it because I watch it on a number of different levels. I watch it in terms of the characters. I watch it in terms of the scenery. I watch it in terms of the music. I watch it in terms of the relationship between the women to the women, the men to the men, the men to the women. I watch it on a lot of different levels. And if you get caught up in any one level, you're going to have a challenge. If you look at it in its totality, you'll see it from its past, its present, and its future. Because I'm going to tell you something else. The reason why Kush Kemet, the Egyptian civilization, fell was because of the same thing. Not because they were selling people out, but because of the royalty and the priest and priestesshood sold out the masses of the people, and the masses of the people revolted. And when the masses of the people revolted against the kingship, the Pharaonic, uh, or the Neset Bitiu, during the 5th, going into the 6th dynasty, that's when the Haibri, who are the Afrabics or the Indo-Europeans, if you want to call them that, came over into Kemet for the first time. It was us fighting amongst ourselves. But it was in the, it was in the contamination of leadership. They forgot who they were. And they began to give special gifts. The, the, the rich would give gifts to each other. And the Pharaoh began to lose Pepe the first and Pepe the second began to lose their strength 
The reason why the Moorish Empire fell was because black folk were fighting amongst themselves. And I know we don't like to talk about this, but we got to talk about it if we're going to make it better. You know, it, it, it's, it was in the family of Boabdil that was fighting amongst themselves that allowed Aragon and Castile to come in and kick the Moors out of Spain. You go on the plantation, it's the same exact thing. We were fighting amongst ourselves. Malcolm talks about the house Negro and the field Negro. It's happening right today. <laughs> Even in the hip-hop nation that we built, we're still going through the throes of fighting amongst ourselves. Willie Lynch never existed, but the syndrome is alive and kicking in our neighborhoods. One thing, as you said about this, raising this fighting amongst ourselves and and Elliot, I can pass it back over to you, was um, interesting to me in looking, you know, the first initial um, scene is the fight between the Oyo soldiers and the um, women from Dahomey. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, that's the first, first all, all other things being true, um, that's the first scene. Um and the question we have to ask ourselves as you know, is that, you know, to, to your point of um, where we need to be, is that where we need to be or that is, you know, or is that a part of the propaganda machine to not just tell us where we are, but to reinforce where we are. I, that was the thought. That's a thought, you know, that I could walk away with. Um, and I wonder, um, you know, does the black audience, walk away with that this scene that opens up even as it's um as you say in all those other areas the music the imagery the personalities all of that um projecting something good does in the back of our mind it reinforces and this is just a question of whether it reinforces that we will continuously be fighting amongst ourselves i I don't i don't want to i don't believe that but if we take it from the point of um where white society is going and trying to to control its destruction you know uh well well, white Mm. well you know white society themselves are fighting amongst themselves you know we got this thing hatfields and mccoys um, um, they are fighting amongst themselves at a far more astronomical rate than we are. But of course, because we are who we are, it impacts us. So I'm concerned about us. But they never got along either. They've been fighting since they were in the ice mountains. So I, I, I don't think that this is a, a challenge that is specific to us as a people. They are at war with each other now. This is their Armageddon. This is exactly what the president meant the other day, although he referred it between Russia and Ukraine, that is the that is the whole story behind the problem. Mm-hmm. These folk hate each other, and they hate themselves. That's the problem. See, black folk love themselves, basically. We just caught up, like I say, when someone steal your history, your language, your values, interests, and principles, and superimpose them, we are reenacting them. Yes. Yes. And so, yeah. I just want to that say that opening though, scene mm-hmm. told me what the whole problem was going to be throughout the whole movie. Yes, that's how I saw that. Right, that right. told and, me. 
<laughs> but our interpretation when you use current, this current, and I'll, I'll stop with this, but when you use the current, because right a couple of days ago, last week, um, in Guinea-Bissau, I think that was Guinea-Bissau, right, that they had a coup. And this is about, um, I think, you know, the Amali had one. So Africans, and the, and, and the thing about this, these coups, which goes to your point earlier about Africans, those who were working in alignment with Europeans, because primarily in West Africa now, their um, dissatisfaction is with the French, but the French isn't there. Who's there is other Africans. So I'm just raising this point, as you say, um, there, there, this, this, and it's more, uh, I'm calling it a victory struggle to overcome this invisible controller, the French in this case, than about the imagery of us may being seen Africans fighting Africans. I just wanted to throw that out based off of what you were saying about um, Europeans fighting each other. Brother Richard, even though you may have avoided Dracula throughout the entire movie, the parasitic vampire, if you get bit by the vampire, you're going to become part of the undead mm-hmm. with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. That's just the bottom line. You know, I'm you know I'm at the point in my life where I really don't care what people think about me because we got to drop the realities and the truths for as we see them, as we see them. Like I say, this is my perspective. This is a Kaaba thought. The very first thing that we have to do is the first day of Kwanzaa, Umoja. We have to have unity. Yes. We have to stop fighting amongst ourselves. That's the first step in liberation and emancipation. That's the first day in all the other six days. The other six days of Kwanzaa can't exist if you can't have unity. You ain't going to have no self-definition. You can't define who you are if you are not together with yourself and your people. How are you going to put something together like that? How are you going to have cooperative work and 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 um, uh, uh, cooperative um, um, the um, responsibility and working together. Third day of Kwanzaa. How can you even spend money with each other if you don't trust each other? Don't have unity. You ain't gonna have faith. You're not gonna have uh, creativity, and you certainly don't have a purpose. Unity is the first step. If people say, "What's the first thing we need to do?" First thing we need to do is stop fighting amongst ourselves. But before we stop fighting amongst ourselves, we have to stop fighting amongst ourselves as individuals and allow the creator within us to take control over our lives. I'm not talking about no religion. (laughs) I'm talking about that essence of who you are as a person, which your characteristics, each and every one of us families born with a Judas and a Messiah. We are born with that which would try to destroy us and stop us from maintaining and achieving our divine purpose in life. And we're born, and, and that Judas is going to do everything it can to convince you that you ain't who you're supposed to be. And the whole time, you are doing great things. You're also born with a Messiah. The Messiah was born to make sure Judas fails. Judas may fall nine times, but the Messiah will rise ten. What is it in us that we don't see how great we are as a people? For all that we've been through, despite and in spite of that, like I say, I love our people unconditionally. I don't care, you pimp, prostitute, gang banger, if you black and alive 
in 2022, I got nothing but love and respect for you. I may not agree with what you're doing. I may find your actions inappropriate, but we can always work that out. The first fact is that you're alive. After all they've done to us, after all they've done to us, we haven't even talked about the slave mills, the slave breeding. We didn't even talk about their cannibalistic nature of loving and wanting to eat black people. We're caught up in this in in this um, in this uh, cable television show on this man that ate black people, ate black people, and we're looking at that like it's something new. Do you know how many black folk were eaten on the plane? Do you know they ate Nat Turner? <laughs> So cannibal, and then the whole time they're projecting on us, we cannibals, while they're eating us, who's called the delectable Negro, they're calling us cannibals. Family, we must stop fighting amongst ourselves. That opening scene and the ending scene told me everything I needed to know. But I look inside of myself. And I asked myself, what part of me sells me out? How many times have I been willing to break a principle to get along? You see, that's, see, that's what I mean when I say how many, in how many ways I watched that movie. Cause I took that movie and I put it inside my body and I asked myself certain things about myself. When we talk about one African selling another African, but what about when we, that internal Judas in us, sells out the Messiah? How many times have we sold ourselves out? How many times have we belittled ourselves in this society in order to get something that we wanted for material wealth? See, that movie was much more to me than just sitting there watching what I was watching. But at the end, after the credits... Then you saw the libation, the prayers to the ancestors. And who did they call on? They called on our sister Brianna. That's what I didn't want anybody not to see. Because that's the hope that I come to the children with every day that I teach them. As long as we have the hope of our ancestors and our creator. No matter how many times Bob Marley has a song, he say, how long shall they kill our prophets while we stand aside and look? Some say it's just a part of it. We have to fulfill the book. <laughs> how many of us have to go through this? Malcolm died so that Minister Farrakhan could live. Martin Luther King died so that Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton could live. Have your feelings towards them any way you want to. But those that came before us sacrificed themselves like the Asarian drama. They sacrificed themselves in order for the future generations not to have to go through it. And what we're doing today in many ways is carrying on in honor of them. I don't do what I do for the ancestors. They did a good job doing what they did. They did what they had to do for me. What I am doing is I'm paying forward. I am doing what I'm doing through the ancestors for the children. I'm focused on our children. 
we're going to take a brief break. And when we come back, uh, I'll get to the uh, some calls up here on the line. I'll get to them right after the break. Uh, we're in conversation with author, educator, African senator, historian, Dr. Kaba Kamani is with us. Decoding the Woman King is the mantra of this program, but we're talking about a lot of things that uh, that uh, can lead our people to a uh, destiny moving forward. We'll be right back. You can join the conversation again by dialing 215-490-9832. Time for an awakening. We'll be right back. Brother Richard, on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. The Digital Plantation, abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger, run to safety. abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I, Black Power, A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global you Black family, to join your interconnected you Black communities, Escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. A new era, a new phase of the struggle where we have moved from a struggle for decency, which characterized our struggle for 10 or 12 years, to a struggle for genuine equality. And this is where we're getting the resistance because there was never any intention 
uh, to go this far. People were reacting to Bull Connor and to Jim Clark rather than acting in good faith for the realization of genuine equality. Do you think white people in this country, and I'm talking about non-segregationists, people devoid or thinking they're devoid of racism, do you have any idea of what they want the Negro to be in America? I think the vast majority of white Americans uh, will go but so far. It's a kind of installment plan for equality. And uh, they are always looking for an excuse uh, to go but so far. <laughs> and know that this problem needs to be solved and we can't keep relegating it to generation after generation because a few of us got a little money, a few of us got positions, a few of us have wealth while the masses of our people are going steadily down. No one man can rise above the condition of his people. See, brother said responsibility. Is it, is it that we should let them take responsibility to do for us, or should we pool the knowledge that's at the table, the power that's in our community, the wealth that's in our community to change the harsh reality of black life in America? We have to do the job of fulfilling the black agenda. Whites are expert game players in their contests to maintain absolute power. One of the time-honored gimmicks is to point to individual blacks who have achieved recognition. But look at Ralph Bunch. Think about Lena Horne or Marian Anderson. Look at Jackie Robinson. They made it as one of those who has made it. I would like to be thought of as an inspiration to our young but I don't want them lied to. Name them for me. The examples of blacks who made it. For virtually everyone you name, I can give you a sordid piece of factual information on how they have been mistreated, humiliated. Not being able to fight back is a form of severe punishment. I come here tonight and plead with you. Believe in yourself and believe that you're somebody. As I said to the group last night, nobody else can do this for us. No document can do this for us. No Lincolnian Emancipation Proclamation can do this for us. No Kennesonian or Johnsonian Civil Rights Bill can do this for us. If the Negro is to be free, he must move down into the inner resources of his own soul and sign with a pen and ink of self-asserted manhood his own emancipation proclamation. Don't let anybody take your manhood. For an Awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. 
Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 818 on Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guest this evening, author, educator, and African Senate historian, Dr. Kaba Khamenei, is joining us this evening. We're discussing the woman king and other pertinent issues. You can join the conversation by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Uh, let's go to the phones and pick up a couple of these callers. Let's go to 267-267. Hey, um, good evening, Brother Elliot, Brother Richard, and I want to say uh, good evening to uh, Brother Kamani. Um, I'm I'm listening and I'm learning, Brother, because like far as history lessons, I need them. And I was, uh, you know, listening to you very intently because, you know, I just wanted to see if I'm missing something. Um, I refuse to go see that movie because first thing first, I saw who the author or producer was of it. Second thing, um, the title, and you said it twice, Woman King. I said, what's next? The main man, queen? So I took that as an insult right away, especially when they're talking about the continent. Um, so I didn't see the movie, but what all the talk has done for me was make me pick up a few publications and really read up on this Dahomey tribe. And, I'm, and which I, you know, when I, especially when I talk to the sisters, uh, they get a little resentful because I tell them like that was one of the tribes that killed a lot of neighboring tribes and actually received some weapons, uh, to continue doing what they were doing. So they were actually empowered by the Europeans to do what they were doing. So it was almost like it was, so it's all to me, it's like the Jews going to go see a movie about the Nazis fighting Hitler. (laughs) You know what I mean? And uh, I, I just couldn't stoop that low to go see it. Um, and, you know, I face a little backlash from people, you know, because, especially the sisters, because they, you know, with the climate and the, and the constant brainwashing and this, and that's another reason with the way a lot of our sisters are today with this gender thing, you know, that title just did it for me, man. And I, I couldn't lower myself to go see it. And I, you know, I, you, I heard you talk about the Judas in us and the Messiah in it. And I believe that was the Messiah in me saying like, don't go see garbage. So I, I just wanted you to expand on that a little bit. And I had something else to uh, ask you. Well, brother, I, you know, you, you know, for me, I understand. Uh, I, I understand us as a people. Um, I think as a historian, uh, one of the things that we have to be able to do to look at what's going on is to step back and to be able to see all angles of things. I I think that becomes very important. There are a lot of different things that have happened to us over time as a people and how we uh, define certain things and how we interpret certain things. And I think that um, when we study our own history, when we step out of the European paradigm and study our own history, and we see the role that women have played uh, throughout history in terms of 
just who we are as a people, you'll see that there is a duality in all things. You'll see that there is a, a, a very important place for the male in the society. There is a very important place for the female in the society. And that if either one is not in their proper place, the society will not function. And that's basically what's going on here. This is also what's going on in Western civilization. The feminine, the female, has never been put in her rightful place. I'm speaking specifically now about the European woman. Never in their proper place. If you look at what's going on in other parts of the world today, such as in Iran, you'll see that the woman has never been put in her proper place. And there's one thing that I can guarantee any civilization. If there is not a co-understanding of the importance of both man and woman in a society, no matter what personal things we may be going through, we do get on each other's nerves. But we don't get on each other's nerves because we're men and women. We happen to be human beings and we get on each other's nerves. That's the way life is. But when we denigrate anybody under any circumstances, it will not function. We will not move forward without the male and the female moving forward together. No matter how it works out, it's not going to happen. And so I, I understand your perspective and your analysis of why you did not want to go. I went because many people were asking me what I thought about it. I, I had my own sort of intrepidation, but then I began to ask myself, well, what is it that's stopping you from going to see it? And I began to realize that for me, Kaba Hiawatha, it was the values, interests, and principles that I had put on that movie from a European perspective, not from an African perspective. I had a book on the Dahomey women Years ago, I bought when I found out that that is where the Western world started using the term Amazon. Mm -hmm. So I, I understood that concept of these women warriors years ago. And I also understood the fact of the invading of the villages where we killed each other. But family, aren't we doing that now? Aren't we doing that to each other now? as it relates to where we are as a people now and the street organizations, the different things that we're doing, tearing each other apart from the political systems, aren't we doing that now? Isn't what happened back then going on right now? And it's part of the reason why we don't want to see the past is because we don't want to face our present because we're afraid of what the future will look like. And I think, and I thank Brother Elliot and Brother Richard and all those involved in a time for an awakening because that's what we have to have. This is why I say, don't believe me. I'm not here. But I'll tell you one thing. No matter what, brother, whether you went to see the movie or not, it did make you think. And if it made you think, then it was successful. Let me, I think he had another question. Yes, sir. I, and, and, and you know what? The thing about it, brother, I, I, I agree with you. And I'm going to keep it real short. I know it's other callers. I agree with you. That's why I want to pick up Chancellor Williams' book again. It's down there on my shelf, <laughs> Heaven Dust. And I realize the only way an enemy can come in and defeat us like he has, especially with the glorious path we have, 
is because we have some kind of infighting and just like, and so that is the main destruction. So I agree with you on a lot of things, but I'm going to have to pick that book, book, book back up because I've heard you on plenty of occasions talk about the glorious past, especially in Kemet. And mm. I said, how did we get to such, you know what I mean? I know we had help. But the infighting, we do need unity. We do need the practice. My, we do need these things. So, you know, I agree with you. I want to thank Elliot and Richard for bringing you on tonight. You have, you, you gave me the ambition to go back down there and get that book and dust it back off so I could see where we went wrong. So appreciate you, brother. Well, brother, I appreciate, no doubt. And brother, I appreciate you because, again, like I say, if I could make you think, that's what's important to me. And the fact that you want to go back to our ancestor, the great Dr. Chancellor Williams, and read Destruction of Black Civilization. But, you know, he wrote, there's another book that he wrote, and it's called The Construction of Black Civilization. That one didn't get a lot of attention, and it probably came out after he had joined the ancestors. But that's another book to, to, to read. Just like uh, they have the book that... Um, um, by uh, Carter G. Woodson, The Miseducation of the Negro. He also wrote a book called The Education of the Negro. <laughs> I recommend that we go on both sides. I, I, I'm, I'm about looking at all perspectives and not allow emotion to come in. We need critical thinking, yes. critical thinking about where we are, but we must do what we do for the children and allow them to see us doing what we're doing together. Even if we disagree, we don't have to be disagreeable. Let's go to 404. 404. 404, are you there? Uh, let's, uh, let's, let's keep it moving. Let's go to 647. 647 in Toronto. Uh, yes, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Uh How's everyone doing tonight? Great. Excellent. I wanted to, I wanted to, uh, I remember reading uh, Walter Rodney, and Walter Rodney talked about how uh, uh, African people will have to realize that there were collaborators who helped, who, who helped put us into enslavement, however, uh, we did not. They did not know what uh, uh, what was going to happen to us once we got a, uh, came to to the to the other other parts of the world. So what Brother Comini is saying, I think he's basically saying the same thing. But in terms of the whole uh, the collaborator situation, uh, you know, we have collaborators in North America who collaborate and work with the state in suppressing us. We definitely have it in the Caribbean, and we have it in Africa. And I just wanted to get the brothers' thoughts on that. There are collaborators in every group. There were collaborators in, in, in Germany that turned their people in. There are collaborators in, in uh, Ukraine that turned their people in. What I'm saying is I'm not saying that we should not look within ourselves to see our collaborators. What I'm saying is that collaboration against an enemy for material wealth is a way of the world. It, that is a human trait. 
That is a weakness, an inferiority that humans have, and that we have that. And we will have to deal with that. But we'll have Would to you deal say with that, part, that when we're all on the, the same Is that part of the class struggle? It is part of the human struggle. It is a, it, you know, it is a part of survival. You know, a uh, brilliant uh, clinical psychiatrist, Dr. Edwin Nichols, tells us about survival and thrival. And if a society can keep the masses of its people in a survival mode, they'll never have to worry about them. But when you get to the point where you're no longer surviving, and by that I mean paying your basic things in life, a place to live, food to eat, um, the, the clothing, once you get to a point where you have met all of your survival needs, you then start to thrive. When you start to thrive, you start thinking because you got spare time. And when you start to think, you start to realize the game that people are playing on. So the object is to keep you in a survival mode way of thinking so that you never start to realize what's actually happening. Because one of the most unfortunate things about people of European descent in America and I would imagine in other parts of the world, is that they are the ones in the biggest problem. They have the biggest problem because they're living in illusion. <laughs> Black folk don't live in illusion. We, we live in a harsh reality. We try to escape maybe through drugs or alcohol or eating or whatever it is that, that we are addicted to to avoid having to face it. The reason why we're doing that, even if it's not the right thing, it's because we do understand that we are facing a very harsh reality in life. Europeans are phasing out family. Throughout the human condition, there have been the six different forms of humans that Dr. Shekhanta Diop recognizes. Australopithecus robustus, Australopithecus gracile, Homo habilis, Homo erectus, Homo sapiens and Homo sapiens sapiens. It is not the strong that survive. It is not the survival of the fittest. The ones that survive are the ones that can adapt to the new ways. And when you can adapt to a new way, the Australopithecus robustus, the first form of human family that came out of the hominid family, the ones that could uh, could adapt to the new ways, they ascended into what we call Australopithecus gracile. Those that could not adapt to new ways died out. Same thing happened with Australopithecus gracile. The ones that adapted became Homo habilis, the human of ability. The ones that could not died out. Homo habilis did the same thing to Homo erectus. Homo erectus, the very best, went to Homo sapiens, and then Homo sapiens to Homo sapiens sapiens. We are on a movement towards a new group of human beings having gone through what we've gone through. We are now moving out of the Homo sapiens sapiens stage. And the reality of it is, is that for a lot of different reasons, the mutations that we are dealing with today, in fact, the European that we're dealing with today is not a mutation. The European and the Asian that we're dealing with today, when the Africans that adapted to the new way, this is an example, they went from Grimaldi, which was the uh, uh, African, to the Cro-Magnon, 
which was the one that adapted to the ice and was able to survive. That was a mutation. However, with their mental state, what they decided to do was instead of the first thing that they should have done was found the biggest, blackest person that they could find, male or female, and begin to mate with them in order to return back into the archetype. But what they did is that they decided that they were going to forbid through, uh, for a lot of different reasons, uh, xenophobia, fear of the foreign is one of them, that they were not going to mate with the archetype. They would only mate with themselves. So they inbred, the, uh, the, the, the um, Cro-Magnon inbred amongst themselves. And in so doing, they formed the people that we know of today as the European and the Asian. The European and Asian that we know of today, I'm speaking scientifically now. I'm not talking superiority or inferiority. I'm talking about DNA. I'm talking about a dominant gene and a recessive gene. The African has the dominant gene. That's why I said there's nothing supreme about being white, because everything that is white is recessive. It has the recessive gene. And so when they inbred amongst themselves, and, and if you don't believe me, I taught it in sixth grade science. It's called Punet's Cube, P-U-N-E-T-T, apostrophe S cube, where you have the big B and the little B. You have the big B is the dominant gene. The little B is the recessive gene. And you create a square. And you create four boxes in that square. When a big B mates with a big B, you get a double B, big B, dominant. When you get a, when you uh, mate a big B with a little B, you get a dominant recessive. When you mate a little B with a big B, you get a, a recessive dominant. And when you mate a little B with a little B, you get a total recessive. So I'm not talking about superiority and inferiority. I'm talking about science. The European is dying out on the planet. You want more information on that fact? Read a book called Birth Dearth, D-E-A-R-T-H, Birth, D-E-A-R-T-H, by Ben J. Wattenberg. Minister Louis Farrakhan advised us a few saviors a day ago to read a book titled Death of the West by Pat Buchanan, Republican that ran for president. Read his book, Death of the West. And if you want to know what's happening in Europe, read a book titled The Strange Death of Europe by uh, Murray, M-U-R-R-A-Y. Just, just read those books and that'll back up what I'm saying. This pandemic, this unexpected pandemic, this brought more harm to them than anything else. Yes. Italy, the reason why Italy is going buck wild right now going back to fascism, is because they are dying out at astronomical rates. Italy, Spain, and Greece, their population is called demographics, the, 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 the graphics of the population. They're dying out in huge numbers. This is their problem with immigration. This is why we got to stop fighting amongst ourselves and get ourselves together. Look at the work of Professor Neely Fuller. And begin to understand that if what you're looking at in a problem in the world isn't based in white supremacy, whatever you figure out will only confuse you. 
it's based on white supremacy, which is an oxymoron. It's two opposite words. There's nothing supreme about white. And they know it. And that's why they're doing what they're doing now. Look at what they're doing. These folk are right outside telling you this. It ain't about morality. It's not about doing the right thing. It's about winning. And quite frankly, Europeans are losing. Big time. And here we sit in the greatness of ourself. We're not doing what we're supposed to do. Could I ask you one more question? Please, brother. Mm -hmm. oh, Walter Rodney uh, said that we should read uh, Chancellor Williams' the, the Destruction of, of, of Black Civilization, and at the same time, we should read Lerone Bennett. Uh, oh. uh, he said that in, you know, he, he, he taught at, uh, I guess, what's the place in, in, in Atlanta? The, the the place where uh, is that was that the Institute of the Black World that was in Atlanta? I'm 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 not sure, but I'm familiar with Walter Rodney. That that book by Lerone Bennett. Are you talking about before the Mayflower? Oh no, Lerone Lerone Bennett wrote many 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 books. I don't I don't know exactly where he said it. Oh, okay, I just wanted uh, to get specific. No, Walter Walter Rodney talked about Lerone Bennett. He was digging okay. up Lerone Bennett in in a. In, a, in, a, in one of his books, uh, I think it was a World Africa Press book, he, he was digging up, really talking about how much he respected Lerone Bennett. Because I think Lerone Bennett only wrote for, uh, he never worked for, for Europeans, period. He always worked for only, only uh, I think he, took, he taught at the universities for a few minutes. But most of his, his income came from uh, Johnny Johnson, I believe. Oh yeah, yeah. He, Johnny Johnson looked after him. Oh yeah, and he looked after Johnny. He looked after Johnny Johnson. Oh yeah, there's no question. He, phenomenal scholar, and the book Walter Rodney, you know, that I think of is how Europe under how Europe underdeveloped Africa. Africa. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah, and there is a price to be. You know, you know. Whenever I pass 125th Street and I see so many of our brothers and sisters who may have chosen the wrong path to live. I, I, I often think of Walter Rodney and I, and I often say that there is a price to be paid for the purposeful underdevelopment of a people. Mm -hmm. There's a price that they will pay. It may not be them, but it will be their children. Their children will live to curse their existence. They will curse their ancestors for putting them in the position that they will be in yes. in years to come. Yes. Thank you very much. Uh, I know you have you have callers probably lined up, so let me uh, relinquish the the microphone and let someone else talk. Thank you. Thank you very much. Peace, my brother. Thanks for the contribution. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Take care. Let's go to five oh five. Five oh five. Five oh five. Are you there? Maybe they stepped away. Let's put them on hold. Let's go to three four seven. Three four seven. Three four seven, are you there? Let's put them on hold. Uh, let me, let me, go ahead, Richard. Go ahead, jump in, Richard. All right. Let me ask a question. Um, you mentioned earlier. I mean, it was, it's a couple of things that you raised that, and that's the um, 
the peace, the principle of reciprocity. And, and I'm thinking of the male, female, um, um, aspect of our social system, African social system. But, um, the, but the, the thing that got me that was in the film was, and you mentioned about the, the ending part. And, and I have to, Elliot told me after I went and seen the film <laughs> that I should stay. <laughs> you know, he tells me afterwards that I should had stayed to see the end after the credits. Cause after that, I, and before that, I left. So now I don't, I'm, I'm debating to go back because now, you know, and you seem to keeping it as a mystery. To, I mean, you're mentioning it, but something that we should um, um, really close on in relationship to viewing. And that is that uh, I guess it was a ceremonial piece, but I'll leave that. that. But the, the point that was in the film was the when um, one of the sisters was using Ifa, the d- divination. Uh-huh. Um, and and that cultural artifact, and then the exchange between the two, mm-hmm. right? The general who said, like, I don't know, you know, I don't believe, you know, like, here you go again, kind of that connection with our, because that's a traditional system, right? That's that's a cultural artifact that has um, ancient um, um, practice to it, as far and 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 the glue of how the invisible. This duality, how the invisible our ancestors have input in our present, right? Um, but the the other the point that got me was at the point in the film when it kind of brings up about her um, with her what she was wrestling with in her dreams uh, of this, and she was doing in her oration, letting her know what her dreams was telling her that when she met her daughter. And she said, you're, uh, I might not have believed it at one point in time, but I see that it's now. And the, the connotation that came to me was for African people who have disconnect, become disconnected. And I think that's the point that you're making. We have to become reconnected with our, our total African self as a part of our liberating process. Am I misreading that? And did you see those? How did you interpret those scenes, if, if at all? You know, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, I, I reflected on that scene. And I also reflected on the fact, and, and I'd like to give a metaphor to explain what I'd like to explain that, that you're saying. Um, my mother was a secretary. And in her job, um, along with secretary, all, all of the secretaries took turns in uh, being at the switchboard. Now, for those younger generations that don't know what a switchboard is, uh, you know, when phone calls came in, there was a general location where there was somebody that would connect the call to the particular office that's being uh, called. It didn't go directly to the phone. It went to the switchboard, and then the switchboard connected it to the person in whatever office they were trying to reach. And and I used to sit with my mother sometimes when she was working, and I remember watching, and um, a call would come in and say, I'd like to speak to Mr. Smith, please, and they would take it, and they might put it in Ms. Johnson's, um, because it looked like a beehive with little holes mm-hmm. in it. And, and, and she would, in, in other words, she would have put the connection in the wrong way. Right. When we were in, if, if you can take that concept, and then my mother would take it out and then put it back in where it belonged in terms of speaking to Mr. Smith. Now, if I could take that metaphor and compare that to 
ligands in the brain. Ligands are our connections that we have between our neurons that go deep inside of our memory system. And when we were in Africa and we celebrated Ifa, if we were in Kushkamet and we had the Neteru, if we were in parts of Africa where we had a special spiritual, social, cultural um, way of doing things, the games that we played, the friends that we had, the music that we played, the dances that we did, the school that we learned from, the things that we learned, how we learned, all of those come within that concept of the culture, the historical culture of a person. When those Africans were stolen from Africa, it was like pulling out of the switchboard all of the connections that you had. And in so doing, in the brain, it's called um, a disassociation. And when I tell you about someone putting their history, see, that's your history. Association is your history, your language, your values, interests, and principles. When they pulled you out of Africa, they ripped you from your history, your language, your values, interests, and principles. And when they superimposed that, it was like putting you in the wrong. That's, that is called disassociation from what you were associated to. However, deep in the DNA, there are remnants of that connection. And all that is needed is to reconnect. That's called reassociation. I'm talking a, a biological, scientific uh, uh, um, brain function that, that, that was done to us. For those that saw Django, there was a scene that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio played where he talked about that section of the brain that, in, that, that, that makes somebody a slave. That place actually exists in the brain. It's in the limbic system of the brain, and it's called the amygdala. The amygdala is your house of emotion. It's where your fears live, your joy, your wonderment, surprise, anger, sadness, happiness. That's where that is, in your amygdala. When we were snatched out of Africa, we would have to understand what that's like. And the only, the closest that we could come is if any one of us were ever kidnapped and brought to a hostile environment, particularly as a child. We have now moved through a process, okay, that we are there. And what that sister in the movie was doing was she had been through an horrific uh, abuse by a man who she eventually killed, which is interesting also. But she, the dreams came, but those dreams are dreams, but at the same time, they're more than dreams. They're thoughts, they're memories. They are associations that we have. That that daughter connecting with her mother had made deep inside of her, just as our memories are deep inside of Africa. We've never forgotten that. You see, there's so many things the woman king did. And my disappointment was we, 
looked at it on a surface level. And in looking at it on a surface level, everything else didn't matter. But I was going in deep. And for you to ask that question, I appreciate that, Brother Richard, because I might not have talked about this had I not had you not asked the question. But I guess that's the purpose of questions is to bring this kind of conversation out. Our memories of Africa is like the memories that she had as mother to her daughter. That relationship that that daughter had with her, you could see it's it's almost like a mother-daughter relationship where she was getting personal with the Ogoji. And there were people outside that were watching, and that was the woman that came with the Ifa. We all have the remnants of the memories of who we were before we became who we are today. And what's happening now is that there is this time for an awakening. And that's what this is. This is an awakening. And this is why they, people who would wish to oppress us, are doing what they're doing because they're watching us awake. That's why they keep talking about this woke culture. <laughs> We're on our way. We just got to keep on keeping on. You know, R- Richard, will you finish your thought? Yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, Dr. Kaba, listen, the, um, you saying that we're on our way, and which I totally agree. Uh, the response that you see from Europeans now, especially on our people, is always a repressive monitoring of what we're exposed to. Uh, it's been that way since we've been here for over 200 and some uh, plus years. It was illegal for us to read. If you were caught doing that, uh, your life is in jeopardy. Uh, after we uh, became part of the society, so to speak, and we were going to schools, uh, the public schools, everything that you re- uh, read about yourself was filtered. So now in 2022 and, uh, and beyond, you, you get this CRT where they really want to whitewash what our children are going to be exposed to. It's not directed, we talk about it on the program all the time, it's not directed at myself or Richard or even the generation right up under ours. But it's, these things now that they're doing is directed towards our children to whitewash what has happened to our people and to uh, uh, put Europeans in a totally different light. You gave an example, and I think you did it on Carl's show, and I want you to talk about it here because when we talk about certain subjects, we get some of our people that, that say, oh, listen, black people ain't doing anything. We can't get it right. Uh, uh, there's no unity, we're done, things of that nature. And I know that you hear it. But you gave an example uh, of the dung beetle. And for people mm. that's, not, that's not understanding of that, can you share uh, that with our listening audience in relation to our situation and our people? Because it comes, it comes directly out of our history. And culture. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and it's universal. It's cosmic. It's not even of this earth. 
It's cosmic. That's why I wrote my book, Spirituality Before Religions. I was trying to get to that point for us to step out of our Africanness. Because it only was by chance that life started in Africa because of the biological, climatological uh, conditions of the planet that it started with. But wherever it started, it would have been black. It just happened to be in Africa. And there are reasons for that. But it's, it's cosmic. And our ancestors looked at nature. Nature was our first teacher. And our ancestors, those in Africa, looked at nature and they ascribed different values and characteristics to different things that they saw around them. And those became symbols of certain things. And we got to understand the difference between a symbol and symbolism. The symbol was the dung beetle. The dung beetle that lives by eating dung, particularly cow dung. The symbolism is what that represents. And that represents a process of becoming. And what they saw was that the dung beetle put their eggs in dung and rolled the dung in the presence of the sun along the banks of the Hopi or the Nile River. We called it Hopi. Today it's called the Nile. Nil means nothing. Hopi makes you happy. So that tells you our view towards things. And as the dung beetle would roll the dung with the eggs inside, the eggs would come forward. And the baby beetles would break through the egg and eat through the dung to the light of day, to knowledge and wisdom. And so the symbolism of the dung beetle is the process of becoming. Dr. Martin Luther King, I heard once say that your character is built during times of conflict and controversy, not during times of comfort and convenience. Anybody can do the right thing when it's easy, but only a very special person can do the right thing when it's difficult because what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And so we as a people lived quite a nice life in Africa. Fruits, vegetables. We, we had our harsh times. I'm not saying that everything was wonderful. But as it relates to climate and weather, and you look around, if you look at Africa, the, the beauty of Africa, just looking at Africa, beautiful. The animals flourish. The flowers grow and bloom. I'm speaking from a spiritual perspective now. We, we, had, no con we, we had every concept of what heaven on earth was. But we had no idea what hell was. And if I can just tell a metaphoric story. So the creator, in understanding this, said to African people, he, he said, you know, you, you know what heaven is, but you don't know what hell is. You, you talk about hell, the lake of fire, but you don't know what it is. So I'm going to take a group of y'all out of your heaven, and I'm going to place y'all in hell. And that was us being pulled out of Africa and brought and put onto plantations. That was hell. And out of this came an invocation to the creator to assist them in being able to deal with this. And in this invocation, 
came what we call the spiritual, the song, the spiritual. And as we move through this from spiritual, it became blues. And from blues, it became rhythm and blues. And from rhythm and blues, it became bebop. Bebop became doo-wop, and doo-wop became hip-hop. I'm telling you this story in this way to help us understand, family. We have been to hell and back. We continue. But only the ones that can adapt to the new way are going to make it. It's not the strong that survive. It's not the survival of the fittest. What allowed us to be able to move where we've moved is the fact that we could adapt and when you talk about Ifa, when you talk about Yoruba traditions and the Orisha, you're talking about a spiritual system. That DNA that was connected to us in Africa, that was ripped from us until we were brought here to America, that memory of, of the Orishas what within us. And in the Spanish language, that memory became Santeria. When the French stole Africans and brought them to the French-speaking islands, in Haiti it became voodoo. When the Portuguese ripped Africans from Africa and brought them to Brazil, it became candomblé. When the British stole Africans and brought them to the English-speaking Caribbean islands, it became obia. And whether or not we want to admit it, those Africans stolen from Africa that found themselves in the United States became the Black Baptist Church. The Black Baptist Church is such a clear sign of an African spiritual system that comes from the Orishas. And so that memory that we have is there. And it is a process of becoming. It doesn't happen overnight. And remember, I hope I can say this without being blotted out. Remember that the dung beetle eats shit, eats the cow's defecation. For the baby beetles to come into existence, they eat through the dung be uh, through the dung beetle that's eaten uh, or that has placed the egg in the dung. Baby beetles got to go through dung. Now, how many times do we say, "I don't eat that shit"? They're always making me eat shit. We're really talking about Kepra. Because your character is built during times of controversy and conflict, not during times of comfort and convenience. And if we should approach life that way, as our ancestors did, we would not curse the winds that brought misfortune. We would bless them because every time misfortune came, it gave us a chance to perfect our character. And so throughout my life, I've always tried to use that concept so instead of dwelling on the negative, I get busy on the positive. Uh, Dr. Cop Richard, did you want to uh, mention something else? Or, uh... um, 
Well, I'll, I'll, you know, I was another scene came came to my mind because I, you know, what I wanted to say had a little something right, different. But go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 no go, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Dot uh, Cobb, listen, um, and I want your 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 opinion on this because it's it's difficult for me sometimes to understand. But the more I look at history, and even what I've heard you say tonight, it gives me a different insight on our ancestors' experience and what we possibly are going to have to do moving forward. Because that's uh, uh, one of the things that I put in the, uh, the promo about our destiny moving forward. We see that, and I'm going to use the movie as an example, because some of our people get caught up in that and they get stuck. Because you hear a lot of people now, I'm not African, those people ain't had nothing to do with me. I'm a child of a slave, things of that nature. But like you said earlier, we're dealing with science, not somebody's opinion. So when we see that some of our people became collaborators with Europeans who started a vicious system on that continent, and then we look now and see some of the same stuff going on with collaborators of our people trying to uphold a wicked system. And some of our people get caught up in uh, battles with them, so to speak. Now, let me throw this at you and, and get your opinion on it. When we see our ancestors like Denmark Vesey, Nat Turner, even Harriet Tubman, they knew, all three of those ancestors knew that it was collaborators on those plantations or in environments where they were but they did all they could to avoid them now in in Denmark Vesey's case and possibly in that Turner's case they did all they could but it, it, it failed in Harriet Tubman's case she was successful but what I'm saying is they knew these men and women existed, but they did all they can to warn others and also to avoid them. How can we look at this now moving forward, knowing that we have collaborators among our people that are working against the interests and freedom of the masses of black folks? How should we deal with them in your opinion? The same way that our ancestors, Harriet and Denmark and Nat did. Identify them. Okay. And, okay. Is and isolate them. Okay. All right. Because Good. the reality of it is, is that, you know, Dr. Clark used to always tell me, always know the difference between people in powerful positions and people who are in positions of power. Always understand what power is. Power is the ability, according to Dr. Wade Nobles, I've heard him say, power is the the ability to define someone's reality and have that person accept that definition as if it were their own. We know who the collaborators are. How long, how many times do we have to go through this when, when we see them talk? How long do we have to fight? We have to identify them and isolate them in a way that we can do what we have to do. Okay. 
that this is what we have right now. And this is what we have the ability to do because our people are not together to really do what needs to be done. But the one thing that we can do is isolate them and put them in a position of humiliation. In Africa, when you committed a crime against a community, they would banish you outside of the community. And they would never speak your name again. Which meant that sociologically you no longer existed. And that was how some, a lot of times they got punished. And so the isolation and never calling their name again, we got to move on. We have too much that we have to do. And we know who they are. We don't even have to mention their name. I could, I, I could say a number of things right now about certain people that we know where they're coming from and never mention their name. And everybody that's watching specifically of African descent would know exactly who I'm talking about. Whether I'm speaking about a rap artist, whether I'm speaking about a sports person, maybe even a, a judge. <laughs> People would know who I'm talking about and we know what they're doing. We know that historic, and that, that I think also is one of the pains of that movie, The Woman King. It reminds us of how we have turned against our own principles of life. And even if we're not the ones that do it, it hurts to keep watching it constantly. Mm -hmm. It's called synecdoche, S-Y-N-E-C-D-O-C-H-E. Senec doke. And it's when you blame the parts, the all for a part. Like, for instance, like when somebody does something, you know, how many of us say, oh, God, I hope he wasn't black? <laughs> <laughs> That's Senec doke. Because they have gotten us to accept the responsibility for what one person does for the whole group. So if somebody commits a crime, that's a reflection on all black people. But if that's the case, and some people have taken exception to what I say, then all of y'all are Jeffrey Dahmer. If you're going to make me accept the responsibility for what one of ours does within our group, then you have to collect what one person does in your group. But you don't see them do it. And yet we are made to feel that, oh, you're a credit to your race. Well, not really. You know, there's people that, that have gotten great to great places and they ain't done nothing for black folk. In fact, they've hurt black folk. Mm -hmm. So we have to come to a conclusion. And see, it all comes back to us, Brother Elliot. It comes back to us. And it comes back to us as individuals. What are we doing? That's the key. What are we doing as individuals? Okay, I can join my brothers and sisters as a foundational black American or as an African American or as a Moorish American or as a Hebrew, whatever you want to call yourself. We, we, we're, we're all in this together. But the reality is, before I can join even my own cultural group, I got to join myself. I have to know myself as an individual on this planet 
in this lifetime being given this divine assignment. And then when I can figure that out and I can defeat the Judas within, then I can join with another brother or sister. And then you can join with people outside your culture. (laughs) But if you can't unite with yourself, you can't unite with nobody else. If you can't love yourself, you can't love nobody else. You can have infatuation. You can have misappropriated uh, feelings for that person, but you can't honestly love them. Because if you can't love yourself, if you don't know what self-love is, you cannot understand what other love is. You have something else, but it ain't love. We must do this. We must identify, understand them, and move on. The other thing that we have to also keep in mind is the, the emotional instability of us being who we are and what has made us do what we're doing. We still have to isolate them. But we have to understand they have mental issues. When when you're a sports player and you're banging your head constantly against other bang heads, there's a certain amount of emotional instability that's going to come your way. And you're going to make decisions that are absolutely out of common sense. And so it becomes important that we know the difference between uh, isolating a person because they are a detriment to our people and they know better, so they should do better than when they're mentally disturbed and doing what they're doing because they're mentally disturbed. And the same thing goes for a rap artist who presents himself in an absolutely inappropriate way. And we get caught up and spend days talking about this. a waste of time we have to get busy about us Listen, we're going to take a brief break. When we come back, uh, we'll start winding things down, but you can still get in by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Richard, when we come back, uh, you can, uh, uh, you know, uh, put the, what you had on the table. We're going to take uh, our last break. And again, uh, you can That's jump good. in and jump in the time we have left by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Our guest this evening, author, educator, and African senator historian, Dr. Kaba Kamini. We'll be right back. Listening to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening with host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network for podcasting or live program scheduling 
hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years. Located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services. Representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies. Offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 2444 that number is 215-885-2444 215-885-2444 all insurance incorporated i transformed a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states This is just one of the tangible transformations I've created for entrepreneurs in various industries around the country. If this isn't what you think of when you think of accounting and business consulting, then get ready to take down this invaluable information. Are you an entrepreneur suffering with a stagnating company? Have headache customers, staff, or vendors? Are you rebounding from a loss and need help achieving your unrealized potential? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? Hi, my name is Nataki Kanban. If you're ready to go beyond advising and coaching and get results, then call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions recommend and implement the best comprehensive sales, administrative, human resources, accounting, and operations to help you grow into your vision for yourself and your company. Again, from anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072 or pull us up on your device right now and book your free consultation at www.newbusinesssolutions.com. Just mention you heard this special announcement on Time for an Awakening. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Twelve years I and others like me have held out radiant promises of progress. I had preached to them about my dream. I had lectured to them about the not too distant day when they would have freedom all here now. I had urged them to have faith in America and in white society. Their hopes had soared. They were now booing me because they felt that we were unable to deliver on our promises. They were booing because we had urged them to have faith in people who had too often proved to be unfaithful. They were now hostile because they were watching the dream that they had so readily accepted turn into a frustrating nightmare. And so the collision course is set.
the desegregation decisions and other type of legislation and Supreme Court decisions depends upon changing the white man's mind. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches uh, us that our own mind has to be changed. We have to change our uh, mind about ourselves. In what way? Well, so he uh, teaches us the importance of moral reformation, uh, a knowledge of self. And, uh, for instance, the average so-called Negro, he doesn't think that he can uh, go into business and provide jobs for himself. And because of this, he thinks that he can only get a job from the white man, or he can only get clothes from the white man, or he can only get food from the white man. And we who follow the Honorable Elijah Muhammad are taught that uh, the same thing that the white man has done for himself and his kind, uh, if our people could uh, be wrecked, uh, if, if we could be cured of our slave mentality that was uh, indoctrinated into us during slavery, we would realize that just as the white man can do these things for himself and his kind, we can get together in unity and harmony and do the same thing for ourselves and our kind. I'm not wondering at all about them. What I'm concerned with the suffering and the pain of the masses of black people. No one wants to pay reparations. The Jews received over $100 billion in reparations and gets $4 billion annually. A Holocaust museum was set up for them on this soil for over $200 million and they get $21 million annually just for operating expenses. But the Catholic Church, the Pope, the Jews, the Arabs, white people in general, no one wants to pay reparations to these, the sons and daughters of Africa. So I speak to them. I don't speak. I speak to them. I don't speak to the family of those two Jews. There are too, too many of us for me to speak to them. And one of the reasons why I'm always happy to come to this organization, because you're the only one, you're the only black organization, again, that understands to put race first. Race first. Race first. And I've had some white folks to tell me that I was a flaming militant, a radical, or whatever all of these names were that they call me. And I said that I am very pleased that you called me a nationalist, because you could have said that I was a member of the NAACP of the Urban League. So I said, I'm very pleased of the names that you have given. But I say that because we put race first, something is wrong with us. But everybody else puts their own first because God blessed the child who has his own. And so I think that race first is very important. And though we meet in a different venue, we're not at the slave theater, we're not at the church, we're now at the Masonic Temple, it really does not matter where we are physically. It matters where we are in our minds. And wherever we meet, as long as we know that we're Africans and as long as we know that we're black people living here in America... We know exactly who we are. You notice you can put an Uncle Tom in any venue in the White House. You can even put him in his. He's going to still be a Tom. You can put him anywhere you want. Well, it's the same thing with us who are strong people. Wherever we are, we're going to be the people that we need to be. Let me just say this before our time winds up. And that is, I want 
people in the audience to go back and look at the video clip from Roots. It's entitled something like Breaking Kunta Kente. That scene opens with Lauren Green uh, sitting in, who's the plantation master, sitting in his office, and then Fiddler comes in and says, um, uh, we don't want to be too hard on the runaway. Kunta Kente has just run away and been caught. And um, so the time comes for him to get his lashing. And if you look at this scene, it's about nine minutes, and study the scene. Study the role of everybody or bodies that are in this particular clip. And you will find that there is an equivalent role in the political life of our country today, whether it's on the national level or on the local level. There's the black man who actually does the whipping of Kunta Kinte. There's the white man who does the whipping. There's the black man who intervenes with the boss man and tries to save the life of Kunta Kinte. There's Kunta himself, who eventually is forced to admit that his name is Toby. And there's a there's dozens of bystanders, black, who are watching. This, this is a very powerful thing. And it's an analogy of exactly what is happening in our community today. Let's give those characters names in our community and call them what they are and then take care of business about that. Time for an awakening is uh, 9.24 on the Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guest this evening, author, educator, and African senator historian, Dr. Cabo Kamani is with us. Uh, We've we got a few minutes left, so try to slip in if you can, 215-490-9832. Richard, uh, yeah, you, <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny when, it's kind of funny yeah. when uh, Cynthia McKinney was with us and she kind of went inside uh, looking at the film Roots and, and pointed out some things uh, uh, equating what's going on in our community today, and then we got uh, Dr. Kaba doing the same thing. It's 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 uh, ironic. Yeah. Yes. And and, and with that, Dr. Kaba, I would like to just um, you know get your reflection of, and you've been giving it to us uh, all along. Um, but well, let me back up. Um, and this, the, when Elliot raised the point about uh, Cahapra and your your explanation, and 
I, I dearly identify with that principle. I was a volunteer at a charter school, which name was Cahepra. And one thing that was an exercise for the volunteer board members was to define um, what does this becoming mean to you um, as a as an exercise. So, and I think that that's as a principle to to relive that, to, to reconnect that, um, is something that we um, have to. I don't know if you would agree, something that we would have to kind of, in this moment, um, going back to what you said earlier, um, what we will have to do. What is it that we're becoming? Um, sh- shouldn't we become conscious of that? And in the film, and the reason why I'm saying this, because the invisible thing that was in the film that tied to my last question about, you know, the divination of Aoife was when... Um, the libation was given. And we know um, at one point, um, gin is an import, it wasn't the a traditional uh, element in the libation practice, cultural practice, right? Um, that is something that was brought in by the Europeans that was incorporated into the culture, even, on, uh, even there. And to me, it seems that we have to be the ones to distinguish what was traditionally the artifacts that reinforced our belief system and what was incorporated that may, this is my limited understanding, may even weaken, but it does definitely tie us to some other instead of tying us to ourselves. Um, do you have any reaction to that thought? relationship to that throughout um, history the very early people the very first human beings the Twa Mbuti the Khoisan Central and Southern Africa the people that are called derogatorily called pygmies they developed a society where nature was their teacher they did not have the amulets and artifacts that they could identify with. That's what goes back to symbol and symbolism. The symbol is the artifacts. The symbol are the things that we use for divination. But the symbolism is really what those symbols will allow us to do in our life. I've, I've always been somewhat hesitant to get into... Um, Rituals and ceremonies. I do understand the role that they play. But the reason why is because I know that everything that we do as it relates to artifacts, divinations, amulets, things that we say, all have to do with us trying to remember something that's within us. And if that's true, then it already is there. All we have to do is to become conscious of it. I've always been very hesitant to, to, to cling too much to that because that's what religions do to us today. I know with Kwanzaa, uh, when I was celebrating Kwanzaa in the very early part of my career, uh, there were many people that thought that it was a religion. And I would have to go through explaining to them, Kwanzaa isn't a religion. It's a celebration of life. It's a celebration of principles in life. And most importantly, it is a celebration of the children who are those 
those those things that we those entities that we are bringing forward that those are our agricultural products what we are creating as a people they 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 are represented by by the uh corn and we we give gifts uh, um and you know we celebrate that and i think that sometimes we get caught up in superstition superstition leads to religion and then religion leads to science and that's why i wrote my book spirituality before religions because i did not say anything derogatory or inappropriate about any religion i never mentioned any religion in my book what i was trying to do is to show the pure spiritual system that our earliest ancestors created and gave to the world and then how they developed that through their scripture and then how once introduced the scripture europeans created religions and these religions now are at war with each other and they are claiming that their god has given them a manifest destiny that they have a right to do these things <laughs> and so i think that the process that we're looking at is we have the dna of the pyramid builders in us we have the dna of the plantation of the plantation dwellers we have the dna of those who are in the projects and now we're on the way to the promised land that's the process it goes back to adapting to a new way when we built pyramids we adapted to the world around us when we were in the plantation we adapted to the world around us when we were in the projects i grew up in a project in new york we adapted to the world around us but we were always heading back to the promised land and with this knowledge we can create what is dr king and malcolm x and others called the beloved community the community that is truly for the people by the people of the people it's interesting democ democratic means people power republic means for the people and nothing could be further from the truth than what has been developed in america <laughs> we have to remember that malcolm taught us republicans are brute wolves democrats are sly foxes but they both belong to the dog family none of them have ever meant us any good and they've all led us to where we are today and what cynthia mckinney said was correct and it is very accurate in terms of what they're saying but i still go back to us they once asked malcolm when when malcolm had uh been developing himself towards the end of his life el haj malik el shabazz and the reporter asked him are, are well are you saying that black people should vote and malcolm said no i'm not saying that black people should vote i'm saying that black people need to begin to understand and become sophisticated in governance and that's what i believe there are many people coming to this country and they're becoming citizens and they are fighting for the vote 
if we exclude ourselves from the process, remember, it's not the strong that survive. If we exclude ourselves from the process of understanding governance in this country, and if we don't take a control over the governance of this country, then there will be other people who will. Some will look like us, but will not have our interest at heart. So all we'll do is transfer the power of our destiny from one person's hands into another. We have to become sophisticated in governance. How to govern. What it is to govern. And then adapt the system around that. Anybody saying to vote? You do what you want to do. But you have to understand how this, how this government works. And in, in my experience in military science, the one thing I realized that I've studied is look to what your, your, your enemy is attempting to take from you. Because what they're trying to take from you is probably your most potent and powerful weapon. They're trying to disarm you. And so, you know, Again, through the emotion of all this, you know, we, we say, well, they don't like us. Well, they don't. The black politicians don't like you either. Not all of them, but I'm, many of them, they don't like you either. Politics isn't about liking. Politics is about pimping. Impostors. Being a hunter. But for those that go back far enough, you know, the Marvelettes had a song titled When the Hunter Gets Captured by the Game. Mm. We have to learn the game and play the game well. It's it, it's so, and that's what Ma'at is. Ma'at is balance. You know, there are times that, you know, you got Malcolm and you got Martin. There's time to be Malcolm. There's time to be Martin. Don't be Malcolm when you should be Martin. Don't be Martin when you should be Malcolm. But don't forget Fannie Lou. Don't forget Mary McLeod Bethune. Don't forget the people that have made this possible. So to me, the process, Brother Richard, is for us to understand that we must adapt to new ways. We must become flexible in our approach towards what we're doing so that we understand the conditions in which we live and to know the difference between people in powerful positions and people in positions of power. I can give you an example. Uh, when I worked for the Board of Ed, at one of my jobs was I was director of social studies and multicultural education. We had 35 schools in our district that I managed the social studies department and multicultural education. At this time, Districts were run by a nine-member board. And at this time in history, I had five members that really appreciated my work, that wanted me to get this culture into the children. This is in South Central Bronx. And so I had a quorum. I had a quorum of five. Even if the other four didn't want, and that didn't always happen, but even if the four didn't want, the five always overruled. So I normally always got what I want. The superintendent 
who ran the district of 35 schools was appointed by the board. One time I wanted a program. The program cost $25,000. Now, the superintendent is in the powerful position, but the board members are in positions of power. So when I wanted a program, this one in particular, I didn't go to the superintendent. I went to the community school board. Because I knew that if I went to the superintendent and asked him for it, he would say, I'll speak to the board. So since I had a quorum on the board, I said, I'm going to go to them, give them my program, and then they will do whatever it is that they're going to do. Okay, so I go to the board. And I speak to the five members that I know support the work I'm doing. I explain to them what it is. I give them the budget. I let them know where the money's going because we ain't going to play no games with money. And they liked it. They said, you'll hear in the future. Okay, go back to my office. I'm working. A couple of days later, I get a call from the superintendent. Superintendent says, you know what? I, you know, it's been brought to my attention that you have this really good program. And uh, I, I'd, I'd like to support it. And I understand that the budget basically is 25000 He said, but I'm going to do one better. I'm, I'm going to give you 30000 The point that I'm making is a lot of times we go to people in powerful positions not realizing they're not the people that's going to make the decision. You've got to go to the people in positions of power. But to do that, you got to know who they are. And we spend too much of our time talking to people that ain't got no power. Mm. Sophistication. That's what Malcolm was saying. Become sophisticated in what you do. Manipulate what it is that you're looking at and carve it and, and, and sculpt it. You know, when you're a sculptor and you are creating something, as I did in my programs that I had. I was sculpting. Sometimes things didn't go the way I wanted. I didn't take the piece that was sticking out and throw it away. I molded it into the shape that I was doing. We have to mold ourselves, mold our existence, and understand that we are angels living in hell. And even angels in hell have to act devilish to survive but never become a devil itself. Because when you get back up into heaven, you leave that devilish in hell, and you can return to being angelic. But when you in hell, you better act devilish. <laughs> you ain't going to survive in hell. That's why you're there. <laughs> I, I Listen, before we... Uh... We would have went a little over and then kept uh, Dr. Kava a little bit over. But uh, before we leave tonight, uh, Dr. Kava, uh, listen, I want to thank you for being with us and uh, imparting uh, some insights on uh, on what we're dealing with and uh, how, we can, how we can move forward. This, this was an interesting conversation. I just loved it. Before oh, that's good, brother, because that's really what I want. And, you know, to the community, may I uh, recommend that you go to my website. That's what I was going to say. Any, anything you want to give, any uh, where they can get the yes. books, things like that, go ahead. The floor is yours. 
kabakamene.com, K-A-B-A-K-A-M-E-N-E. I have a free e-course and study guide up on my site. And um, you, you'll be able to download it. You put your email into the slot, and then you'll get the first day of the e-course and my study guide, 44-page study guide, that uh, Dr. Clark once told me, you may not get to your destination, but if you leave a proper roadmap, those that come behind will. My study guide is my roadmap. I don't plan on going any place anytime soon. I'm a, I'm going to Methuselahize this, <laughs> but today, today is mine, but tomorrow's promise to nobody. And so what I'd like to do is give to the community a study guide for free. It's my most important document I have. There I also have my three books listed. I wrote a book on Professor William Leo Hansberry. If you're into, interested in African studies, African information, it was William Leo Hansberry who charted out in, tw- in 1922 at Howard University, the first African studies program that focused on our culture. I wrote a book on his life and times and what he did. And I've also included his curriculum that he developed to teach the community. My second book is Spirituality Before Religions. It was a book where I tried to just show us from a, a natural perspective uh, that every, and it wasn't for Christians to leave their religion or Islam, Muslims not to be Muslim or Hebrew Israelites not to be Hebrew Israelites or Rosicrucian or Zerosri, whatever. That wasn't the purpose. The purpose was to write a book that could identify and analyze scripture on the walls and papyri of Kush Kemet that you would be able to see where your scripture came from. And I wrote Spirituality Before Religions for my third book, Shabaka Stone, which is in fact the Old Testament and the New Testament combined. That's where Christianity came from, the Amen priesthood. It came from Shabaka Stone. Genesis, the flood, Cain and Abel, Gen- um, uh, um, the Garden of Eden, all of that is written in Shabaka Stone. And so those are the three books that I have up on my site. However, if you happen to be from outside the United States, I recommend that you go to Amazon. It's on Amazon too. But I recommend you go to Amazon because postage to send it to you is more than the book itself. So it would be much less expensive for you to buy it through Amazon if you're outside the United States. But if you're in the United States, I will sign it, date it, and send it your way. So I, I, I ask you not just to support me, but to support all the scholars out here that are doing work. All the folk that are doing all of this work, that are putting their life and their work on the line to make this information possible. We have a lot of brothers and sisters out here doing a lot of great work. And my brother Elliot and my brother Richard, I thank you for this opportunity to bring me on board to be able to talk to our community. And please, family, understand something. I'm like, like all things, I don't do what I do for you to believe me. I do what I do to assist you in thinking, to facilitate thought, and to help you understand that you are born with everything that you ever need. Every young baby fetus born is born with every egg she will ever produce. Every human being is born with every thought and idea that has ever existed, exists now, and will exist. It's like being in a dark room 
can't see a thing. Then you find a light switch. You turn it on. You see the TV. You see the computer. You see the chairs and the couches, the bookshelves and the books. My question is, did all those things appear in the room when you turned the light on? No. They were always there. Your light just wasn't on. So life is about facilitating finding the switch in your mind. Turn it on and realize that you already knew it. So you just keep on keeping on, family. It ain't over till we win. Thank you, you, sir, for being with us, and we'll talk to you soon. All power to the people. (laughs) Peace. Peace now. Richard? Yes, yes. Interesting program. I mean, it... uh, <laughs> I'm glad he was here to share with us. Yes, yes, yes. Help to help, you know, as this as this here series unfold and the different perspectives are brought to to bear. I think hopefully it's helpful to the time for awakening audience to see that when we go to, and I think we touched it um, um, last weekend, even um, now, when we go to see these um, films, um, we have to, you know, bring. Um, different perspectives of ourselves in order to be able to code and decode it um, in order to be able to extract what is um, will be useful and understand what is um, maybe um, harmful or maybe beneficial to others and not to our own interests or reflect our own values or give us our own principles. But we have to be clear of that and what was said tonight is that history will help us. Our history will help us do that. Yeah, right? and I really appreciate that. Yes, you're exactly right, Richard. Because listen, if if we don't have some type of background on what we're looking at, dealing with, and not just that particular movie, anything we're dealing with in this society, because Richard, the reality is that subconsciously, and that was through this enslavement of our ancestors. And the chil- and we're the children of those people that were enslaved, that we look at things through a Eurocentric view, sometimes subconsciously, but it's there. That's what we have to wipe clean of our minds, almost like a computer hard drive that you're wiping clean so you can put uh, new information there. We have to wipe that Eurocentric view of our people, uh, our history, our culture, we have to wipe that out. In fact, a lot of the aspects of our culture we know nothing about. And we got a Eurocentric view of our people, uh, that whether they were here or on the continent, that we have to wipe clean. So it, it's, it's some work that we have to do, and it's not insurmountable because we have people out there that have done the research, and we have a lot of help. So uh, Yes, yes. Listen, before we uh, leave tonight, just want to uh, uh, talk about the programs on time for an awakening media, uh, African Perspectives with Brother Oshi. Uh, that's 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Always inter- interesting guests and dialogue on African Perspectives with Brother Oshi. That's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Uh, later on Monday evenings, Black Therapy Central with host Dr. Maria Kamban and Dr. Kamal Kamban. That's 8 to 9. On Tuesday, 8 to 10, Black Reality Think Tank with host Dr. William Rogers. 
and hopefully Dr. Rogers will be back uh, uh, during the program either next week or the week after because he had been uh, uh, under the weather a little bit. On Wednesday, it's our time, the Black Farmers Program, the West Georgia Cooperative. Uh, they're having a big uh, uh, cooperative meeting. I just read that the other day, Richard. Um, I'm sorry, I don't have the information in front of me. But it, it's going to be on the 26th of October. We'll be airing it on Time for an Awakening. That's, uh, I think it's 6 to 8. Uh, a lot of guests from around the country, uh, black co-op, co-ops that are trying to start working together. That's almost like what we were talking about uh, with uh, Dr. Copper this evening. That's mm-hmm. going to start doing some things together. Uh, we'll be airing that on Time for an Awakening on October the 26th. You'll hear more about it on future programs. On Thursday, uh, Brother Patrick Lumumba, uh, Mississippi on the Move, the Black Liberation uh, Movement Program in Mississippi. That's eight, seven to eight on Thursdays on Time for an Awakening. On Fridays, eight to ten, uh, Time for an Awakening. And on Saturdays from seven to nine, the elders of Sankofa where Brother Alfonso Watkins is host. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Lively discussion as always, and we'll be back on Friday, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. Peace. If you're driving through the country on a lazy afternoon, or you're watching your children playing after school.
Entre 